Um, so today we're going to um, look at what it means to be hungry for God. And do we need to be hungry for God? And what does that look like? How can we be hungry for God? Now, those of you with kids, grandkids, been around kids, supermarket, anywhere that there's a child, um, you will know the phrase, I'm hungry. Heard that before? Yeah? It's okay, you can have a snack, comes the reply. I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. Let's just do lunch now. Yes, it's 11.30, but we're going to go for lunch. Um, I'm hungry. It's not long till dinner. Come on, we'll just hang in there for a little bit longer. I'm hungry. You've literally just eaten dinner. How on earth can you be hungry? But that, that's kids for you, isn't it? Um, and, but have you ever been in that position where you've been so hungry that your stomach is almost hurting, that is yearning for food. I think sometimes I, I, I have an interesting relationship with that word hungry, particularly with the children, because I think we have so much in our society, um, and there are so many people in the world that genuinely are hungry. Um, but yet we do sometimes experience that, don't we, where we're so hungry, or our blood sugar drops to the point that we know we need something um, because of the way that our body is reacting. Um, but hunger is a, is a well-known phrase that we use in the Bible as well, to be hungry for God. And what does that mean? And we're going to explore what that looks like today. Now, often in the Bible, this is where I need my whiteboard pens. We'll find one that actually works. Um, so often in the Bible, there's a double meaning that comes with things. So there is often an earthly meaning, and there's a heavenly Okay, so there's these there's these things that are spoken about, and there there can be it can be interpreted from an earthly perspective and a heavenly. So we're thinking about earthly hunger, but then we also talk about having a hunger for God and what does that mean. So today we will start to explore what the differences are. But we're going to play a game first. Yes, the kids slot has happened, but yet we're going to play a game. So coming up on the screen will be a picture, and I want you to tell me what is wrong with this picture. What is wrong with it? Okay, the back. The exit. How does the ship get in and out? Weird, isn't it? Right, next one. What's wrong with this picture? You have to look carefully. Stevie? The strain on the, uh, the outside track doesn't have a... Yeah, it doesn't have, um, have an engine-y thing, whatever it is. Sorry? And the other one's got two engines. Exactly. What's wrong with the next picture? Oh, this one's harder. There's no 31st of June. No 31st of June. Good one. Okay, what's wrong with the next one? Max and minimum, okay. Um, and what's wrong with the next one? Sorry? Louder for me, Elizabeth. Jew and a Samaritan together. Okay, wonderful. So it's just a normal picture. There's nothing wrong, like no limbs missing or anything. But there is a Jew and a Samaritan together. And we're going to think a little bit about the woman at the world today that this picture comes from. So we're just going to hold that picture up there for now. And this is a true story from the Bible. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to read it so you can just listen along with me. And we're going to start at John chapter 4 and starting at verse 1. 
Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees have heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, uh, who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called uh, Sychar. Near the, t- the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, um, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a, and, and I am a Samaritan. Um, sorry, I've just lost my place. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, "Um, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and and also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So let's think about this. So um, in this scene, we have um, Jesus traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. So we have the Mediterranean. So we've got the line of the shore and we've got the Mediterranean here. Um, And then up in the north here, we have Galilee. Galilee. And there's a river, a little bit of water. And then there's a bigger bit of water here, which is um, the Sea of Galilee. And then it goes down here, and it goes out to the Dead Sea. Um, And then we have, um, around about here somewhere, um, we have Judea. And we have um, this area that Jesus was traveling from. And he was going from here up to Galilee. Um, And Samaria was here in the middle. But the trouble is that what often happened is, as people were traveling from here to here, they would get get attacked. And um, there was a big rift between the Jewish people that would go on this pilgrimage between the two. Um, So they would avoid Samaria. And this is the River Jordan here. And they would kind of go via Jericho, which is somewhere around here. they would kind of go round and along and up that way, rather than taking the, the shorter and more direct route straight up. And they would do that because it was safer, and we will see a little bit more about that in just a moment. So going back to the picture, what's wrong in this picture? Now, we had the fact that there was a Jew and a Samaritan woman were together, and they were at odds as people. The Jewish people and the the people um, from Samaria were not friends. And this all came about because when the Jews were exiled to Babylon and they came back, they came back to their land, and there was a a bunch of people that had inhabited their land, and they were claiming to be the true descendants of Abraham. 
And this caused a massive rift, and um, there was massive division, and they opposed each other, and there was often bloodshed that happened because of the land and trying to claim it back. But what they decided was that they just would not mix, that the Jews and the Samaritans would stay separate, it was more peaceful, and it was much, much easier. So what's wrong with this picture? Well, there's a Jew and a Samaritan together. That would not have happened. Secondly, what's wrong with this picture is that Jesus, as a devout Jew, is alone with a woman. Now, back in those days, um, Jewish men that were devout in their faith wouldn't have been alone with a woman. They would have been deemed too risky to, um, to be alone with a woman because there would have been the risk of impurity, of gossip, of potential immorality as well. But thirdly, what's wrong with this picture is the fact that they're talking together. See, sometimes um, there were moments when a man um, were, found himself alone with a woman, but to then talk to them was yet another level that they would not have done. So um, they would have avoided that at all costs. And fourthly, it's about midday. I don't know if the picture shows that so well. Um, but the fact that the woman is there at the well midday in the heat of the sun to collect water. That's wrong. That's not what would have happened. People would have collected the water in, in the cool of the day when it was easier. But the reality with this lady was that she was a lady that, that, um, that had um, a questionable um, lifestyle. And she didn't want to rub shoulders with the other ladies in the area because they knew her background, her past, and her choices. And she was deemed a sinful woman. So there's lots that's wrong with what's going on in here, but there's also a lot that is right about this. Because what we see is yet Jesus, knowing all of this, he enters into a conversation with her. Why? Well, I think this is a wonderful example of the kingdom of God is for everyone. And we're going to see a little bit more about that later. So, in our passage that we have just read, um, verse 7, Jesus asks for a drink. So then we get the response from the woman. She's like, whoa, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't mix, came the reply. Yet, verse 10, Jesus mentions something to her. He mentions living water. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you will have heard that term, living water. And this is our first one that we get on our chart. So there's living water, and there's a lady heard it. She thought about it in earthly terms. But Jesus was talking about it. Sorry, I can't talk and spell. Um, he was talking about it in heavenly terms terms. So there was this double meaning that was going on. So in those days, living water in the earthly terms would have meant water that was flowing, water from a stream, from a spring, from, not from a well. So a well, a pool, something like that would have been stagnant water. So the term living water would have been used for something that was flowing rather than from the well. But that heavenly meaning means so much more. And um, I think that Jesus talking, when he talks in this heavenly terms, he talks about how that God, 
that Jesus will bring this new life, this new life that knowing God brings to an individual. So it doesn't matter, regardless of the geography of where a person lives, their background, um, their race, their moral um, decisions that they make. Like we see in this picture, regardless of that, um, Jesus came to bring this living water for everyone. Now, as Jesus talks about this um, living water, this living water here on earth is almost like a signpost that points to the living water that Jesus offers. See, not only will the living water that Jesus offers, will it quench our thirst, but it will bubble up inside us like a spring. It will flow inside us like a running river um, that will quench our thirst. See, later on in um, John, he refers to this. If you've got your Bible, jump with me to chapter 7. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from 37 to 39, and it says this. On on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus had not gone to heaven. So Jesus was talking about this living water, this rushing water that we can know that comes from the Spirit of God in our lives. So we need the Spirit of God within us as a fresh, flowing, living water. Because the reality is that anybody that drinks of this water, for them, everything changes. So we're back in chapter 4. And verse 16, we um, read this. Um, We read um, from verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they... Um, they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. See, some people would say that Christianity is, um, is brainwashing people. I'm sure you've heard it said in the past, or it's like a, um, it can be like a cult or something. Um, and, but the, knowing Jesus um, and being a Christian is not being brainwashed by any means. But the reality is we need our brains washed 
but not brainwashing, um, because we need that living water of Jesus to come in and change us and cleanse us and change our hearts and our minds. And all around us, the reality is we see society eroding away. We see that the world is telling us everything we need is around us. And in some ways, it's almost easier to go with the flow of the world in what we think and we do, um, and not with the living water flow that Jesus offers. Now, some of you will know that I trained as a nurse, and um, on the rare occasion, we would have a situation in the hospital where a child would go into um, to cardiac arrest, um, so their heart would stop working. And I remember one day being involved in this incident, and um, we're there with, with this child, and the only way to get their heart back online, as many of you will know, is to jolt it into action with electricity, so using a defibrillator. Um, so then the shock of electrical energy gets the heart pumping and starting again. And the gospel of Jesus, so what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross and raising to new life, that is almost like a sharp jolt to our hearts, like that defibrillator to a heart that has stopped working. It shines the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, shines a bright light into our hearts and minds and jolts us into action and jolts our brains into action. And this is exactly what happened to the woman who was at the well. There was this kind of jolt for her where she realized and intrigued by what Jesus was saying by this living water. And she asks for some. She says, give me this living water. She didn't know what she was asking for, yet she was asking for it. She asked for this living water to be bubbling up, to be running inside of her, yet she didn't fully understand because she knew that she needed to get rid of this stagnant water, this water from, that was not flowing that she had been living on. So we know, reading that little bit that I've just read, that the woman who was at the well with Jesus, her life was a bit of a mess. And there was this pressure point that Jesus touches in that moment. And it almost has a reaction from her when he says it. Um, and as a pastor of churches, um, I've, I've seen this happen when you talk to someone about something and there's that pressure point. Those of you that have been in pastoral care, you'll, you'll recognize it so much. You just probe a little bit and you get a reaction from somebody. So it might be when somebody's talking about church um, and, you, and it touches a nerve and the woman, and that's what we see here with the woman, when that nerve is touched by Jesus about her life, um, she reacts. So what she does here is that she starts to talk about the place of worship. And sometimes people do that as well. So when you touch that nerve about, about church, they're like, well, I went to church as a youngster and it wasn't for me. Or I don't know about church. I, d I didn't like the preacher. Didn't like the way that they spoke. Or the worship was too loud. The songs were too quiet. The, um, the songs were too slow. I don't like the way that they jump around. I don't like the um, chairs that we have to sit on. They're not comfy enough. Church isn't for me. We've heard them all time and time again. But the reality is that stuff is irrelevant. And what happens here is that when this pressure point is pushed for this woman on her lifestyle, she's like, well, you Jews say that we should be worshipping um, on the mountain, on a different mountain, and we say that we should be worshipping on this mountain, because your mountain's in Jerusalem and our mountain's here. So that she's trying to divert the attention away from what is actually happening. Um, and she says, we can't both be right. And 
what happens is when we talk to people and Jesus starts to kind of knock on that door and push, um, there, is, there can be this reaction. But then there's this, this worship that has this, this double meaning. Because Jesus says it doesn't matter about where you worship, but it's about worship in heaven and that connection with God. Because we, we come up with all these excuses in an earthly term, but God doesn't care about our buildings. He doesn't care about, um, he doesn't care about the fact that we're in here. It's the fact that we are worshiping um, is what is important to God. And Jesus corrects her um, and says to her in verse 21 that the mountain is actually irrelevant. And he says, um, verse 23, yet a time is coming and has come now when true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, one of the things that I, um, that I love about Chase is that over the years, you guys have met in different places, haven't you? It's not about the building, like being in a school, in the CA Hall, in here, in Winchmore Hill, in Ken and Barb's house. All the different places that it, um, you've met over the years, because God isn't confined to a building. God is spirit. God is spirit, and we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus' mission was to bring life um, the life of heaven to earth and to our lives and not into our buildings. See, the buildings that we use and we worship in, they are simply a signpost to God. They are simply a signpost that points us to God and those around us. So the woman then decides that she's going to take a different tact in this discussion that she's having with Jesus. Um, she says she thinks well maybe I'll try and get it out of it this way verse 25 she says look one day one day the Messiah is going to come um, the Messiah Christ and he'll explain it all to us so why don't we just wait until then um, and you can imagine the movie scene all right okay so the woman's there cameras on the woman um, and she says this and then it pans to Jesus and Jesus says I the one speaking to you um, he. And there's this dramatic pause, and the section ends, and the woman ponders what happens and what he's just said, and in come the disciples. So, first, um, picking up a verse 27, the disciples rejoin Jesus. Just then, the disciples return and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, um, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see the, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, um, could someone have bought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Yet I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop of eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know, what, uh, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Many will um, know the piece of music called Messiah um, by Handels. And the story goes that he was so enthused by writing this piece um, of music that he worked on it solid, carried by the music for long periods without food. I'm sure Pete's just like this when he's writing worship songs as well. Um, But he was just so enthused by this piece of music that he just carried on, carried on, carried on. And yeah, the, the report says that he had no food. And he said afterwards that the experience was a wonderful, and I quote, wonderful, exalted, heavenly vision. Now, I'm sure that um, it doesn't often happen to people that they're so into what they're doing that they go for long periods without food. But you may have been there where you're you're, you're at work or you're doing something and you're so distracted by that that you miss lunch or um, you miss a snack or something like that. Um, But I've I've been there. Um, And... But this piece of music was carrying him in such a way that he said it was heavenly as he, um, and he didn't need the substance of food. Um, and I think that's a little bit about how what Jesus was talking about. See, he was talking about food in that passage that we just read. Yet, as the disciples um, were hearing what he was saying about the fact that he has food, they were like, what? Somebody bought him some food that we didn't know about? That's our job to do that. Has he already had his dinner? Um, But they were thinking in this earthly terms, where Jesus was again using the earthly food as a signpost that um, pointed to something very different. And... I think for Jesus, he had in his mind what had just happened with the woman at the well. The fact that she was so excited and infused by what God had said. We we read in the passage that she left her water that she had come to collect that that she needed. She left the, the, the water there to go and tell people about Jesus. She was so excited by what had happened. She hadn't fully worked it out. She hadn't fully got to the point where she fully understood. But she knew there was some There was a hunger for God, and she needed to tell people about it. And what I love here is that Jesus is for everyone. Again, we see he is for people that are outside of the Jews. He is for people um, that are for anybody um, and that has a hunger for God. See, many people saw the woman in this earthly terms as an outcast, Oh, I've got to write a funny angle, wait. But actually, um, she was the first evangelist. Because, or one of, um, because she, seen as an outcast in earthly terms by people because of her lifestyle and the moral choices she had made, yet she went and she told people about, uh, about Jesus. And what happened? We read it in the passage. These other people heard, and they were like, well, we're going to go see Jesus. So then you get all these Samaritans that don't mix with Jews going to find the Jews because they want to hear about this thing that he is talking about. 
And then they say that when they um, heard for themselves, they almost had this living water flow within them as well. And they believed in Jesus. They had this water bubbling up inside them. See, we need Jesus' living water in heavenly terms. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we need the heavenly food that we read about. Because the reality is the harvest is ripe. Jesus said it in this passage. And there are people that are ready to be introduced to this living water um, of God. And maybe this is something that today you are hearing for the first time. Um, And you're thinking about, well, who is this Jesus? What is this living water? How can I know that? But these things change lives. And we've seen that in the passage that we've just read. So what does it look like for you and I? Well, um, some of you may have heard about the revival happening in Asbury at the moment. Um, And those of you that don't know what's happened, let me tell you. There was a group of students who met in a chapel um, in Asbury University, Kentucky. And they had a talk on becoming the love of God by experiencing the love of God. The meeting was then closed with a prayer. um, And the prayer went something along the lines of, God, revive us by your love. And then they worshipped the Lord. But when it got to the allotted time, it didn't stop. The worship continued, and it continued, and it continued for days and days nonstop. And I don't know all the details of what's happened, and and I pick up bits of things that happened. But these group of students were so enthused by what God was doing that they wanted to be in his presence, that they wanted to worship him in spirit and in truth. There were students that went off to their class and they came back because they could see that the, wor- the meeting was still going on and the worship was still happening. There were other students that had never been to chapel that came along because they heard what was happening. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. Um, and it continually, there were people worshipping through the night. Because there's this living water rushing through them right now where they're hungry for God. They want to know more of God and it's infectious and it's, um, other people are catching it. See, I want to see us have a hunger for God. And my prayer is that we will see almost a revival here in Enfield. That we will see, um, um, we will see a breakout of God in our communities um, and the places that we live and we work. That we don't, we don't need to replicate what we see happening around the world over the years. But God is going to do something new. Maybe he's already doing it. Somebody said that this week, that we're already seeing stuff happen. But what I want to see is for us to have a hunger for God. I want us to see um, people um, that catch this living water and want this living water that comes from heaven and move out of this area of stagnant water into this flowing water. I want us to see us as a church on fire for God. I want to see God's kingdom break out here and now. Because the final word that we have and we started with was hunger. Because again, we can, um, wait, let me spell it. Um, we, can, we can have an earthly hunger um, that we know all too well. But actually, do we have a hunger, um, what Jesus talks about in the heavenly terms? Are we ready to lay down our stuff and let God work in our hearts 
and our minds. Are we worried about, um, we like, we're, we're going to go into a time of worship now um, where we can actually just spend some time with the Lord. Um, but we don't need to worry about time. I'm the worst for this. I'm a clock watcher. Um, and um, if things don't run to time, I get a little bit agitated. Um, but I'm working on it, um, and the Lord will change my heart in that. But that's what we want to do. We just want to leave some space now and see what the Lord will do. And are we ready to surrender our lives to God and see his living water moving in our lives? So imagine as we started off talking about hunger and that earthly hunger and that pain that can come um, that we know about when we're so hungry and we yearn for food. But what if we had a spiritual yearning? What if we were so hungry to see God's face that it hurt here? Yearning to see his kingdom um, like those young people have in Asbury in America. So where are we? Are we looking um, at things and thinking, are we in a stagnant place? Um, Or are we seeing the living water of God bubbling and rushing through us? Are we worshipping in this building because that's what we do and we like the songs? Or are we worshipping God in spirit? And in truth, allowing him to change our hearts and minds. Do we long for the heavenly food that only the Lord can provide? Or do we just look at food as an earthly thing? Are we um, going to be somebody who becomes that evangelist? That, um, and the reality is, before we know Christ, the reality is we're all, we're all a little bit of an outcast. But actually God wants to meet us. And bring us into his family. Um, And he will then use us as he did this woman at the well. Where are we? Are we hungry because it's getting near to lunchtime? Or are we hungry for what God can do in our lives? Now there may be people here today that this is also new. um, And you want to talk to us more about it. And we'd love to pray with people about this. We'd love to talk about this some more. It may be that you are sitting um, in this, and you've heard this time and time again, but it's this earthly way that we've been seeing it. And we want to see a change into a heavenly way. And again, we want to pray with you. Um, Some of the church leaders are here. Uh, Most of us, unfortunately, today are wearing check shirts. Um, Pete didn't get the memo, um, or Sue's. But... um, but yeah, um, but there's loads. All of us can pray. Um, so if you're sat next to somebody, say, "Can you pray for me?" Um, and I'm sure that and people that have been around this church for long enough will say, "Yes, I'll pray for you." Um, but we want to pray for you. Um, so why don't we stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll spend some time worshiping. Pete and Sue, could you just pop that on the side for me? Father God, we love you, and we love that we can know you. And we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray, Lord, that as we come into a time now of spending with you in your presence, I pray that we would be hungry for you. That our, our hearts, our stomachs would yearn to know you. That we would want to move from this place of stagnant water to have this living water that only comes from you flowing through our lives. That we would have the excitement that the woman at the well had. Maybe we don't fully understand, but yet we know something is changing and something is different. 
So Lord, I pray that as we worship you now, we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, move through us and change our hearts. Amen.